I want to continue on a little bit from last week, and we'll just see again where we sort of land and end up. But last week we began to uh, uh, talk about the Holy Spirit, and we focused on uh, the Comforter, that the Holy Spirit is a Comforter, that he's not a shock jock. Uh, he's not Kyle or Jackie O. He's not there just to, you know, uh, offend us and, and to to find out what's the thing that I could do that's going to wig you out the most, and I'm deliberately going to do that because I just want to make you uncomfortable and unsettled. And there are elements of my walk with God where there have been moments where my intellect may have been unsettled because I couldn't understand something, uh, but it was done in a gentle enough way that I knew it was God. And there were moments where God will do things outside of my box, the, the box that I've got God in. And everybody in this room, you've got a box of your own making, we all do. Um, if, if God is really who the Bible says he is and there was nothing there and he said, let there be and there was, uh, that's pretty outrageous. I mean, if God came into this room right now and said, you guys need a coffee machine, there was none, let there be, and a coffee machine popped up, some of us would literally freak about that. We would think, oh, magic, voodoo, we'd have all kinds of things, we'd be, you know. But if God, God be God, God could do that if he wanted to or if he came in now and said, you guys need aircon." And just said, let there be, and there was air conditioning. He could do that, and a system could just appear in the roof. But I'll tell you what, right now, it would freak me out. I would be having to get up there and touch it and make sure it was real, and I'd be waiting to come in next week, and it wasn't there. And So sometimes there's, 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 there's space outside of our walls where God does things that we don't always understand, we don't always get. But my experience with God is that he won't stray from who he is. He may do things different, but he won't change who he is. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, that he's a comforter. He's a comforter for you. He's not here to, to deliberately push your buttons, unsettle you. And we've all been in meetings and places where things have gotten way out of control and it's been placed under the banner of, you know, this is God and, you know, we've only got to go back through the history of revival, particularly in the Western church, and we see people on all fours barking like dogs and... Uh, you know, people sneezing, and if you didn't sneeze, it wasn't God. And I don't need to go over all the stories, but you can pick up books right now and about recent, as, as in the last 50 years, revivals that have taken place and how they started with God. But then maybe they got a bit twisted or a bit weird. Either people tried to control God and the revival died, or maybe they, they thought, well, you know, well, if God's doing that, then every little time I feel an itch and I scratch, it must be God, and everything becomes God, and it gets out of balance the other way. And I don't think that's the picture that Jesus painted of the Holy Spirit when he came. When he came, there was an order. There was a, 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 a gentleness about what the Holy Spirit accomplishes down here on earth. There's a way that he goes about what he does, and it's always in line with the character and the nature of God. We won't go outside the nature and the character of God. I mean, I, I love this story, and I think it's Matthew 11, with John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist is there, and he's in prison. And the Bible says that when he heard the works of Jesus from in prison, he heard what Jesus was doing. He called two of his disciples, a couple of his disciples to him. And he said to them, can you go to him and ask him this question for me? Are you the one or should we be waiting for somebody else? Interesting question for John the Baptist to ask about Jesus. When you think about one day John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus comes walking through a crowd and John the Baptist suddenly looks up and stops and declares in front of all these people, this is the man. When, when it's recorded in the Bible that they saw the Spirit descend upon him like a dove, when, when they hear a voice that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, 
when John the Baptist will declare that so openly and so brazenly in that environment with hundreds of people around him on the river's edge and then all of a sudden he's saying, hang on a second, are you, are you actually the one? What took place? What happened? Well, the only thing the Bible tells us that happened is this. The Bible says while John was in prison and he heard the works of Jesus. So he heard what Jesus was doing and went, hang on a second, this is my box. Some of that stuff's outside my box. I'm not sure that this is God. But he was smart enough to send his disciples to Jesus to go, hang on. And Jesus said, here, you go back and you tell him the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. You go and tell him that. And they went back with that report. But I, I think if John the Baptist had a box, then I'm pretty certain I got a box. His box might have been, I would imagine John the Baptist's box was fairly large. And I probably think mine's fairly large, but every now and then God does something and I go, hang on a second, my box is not as big as I thought it was. You know? And if I want to keep God in that box, the only reason I do that is because in the box I'm in control, which means the person I've got in the box can't be God. Because I'm in control. All of a sudden I'm now God because I feel like I can control him. So God does do things outside of our box, but the character and the nature of God will never change. So last week we talked a bit about that, about him being a comforter. Um, I want to, over the next few weeks, talk about three specific things that I believe there's a pattern that happened in the life of Jesus, and it's a pattern that happens in the life of those that follow him as well, at various stages, in various ways. In no way am I saying that these experiences are all packaged exactly the same, but I do believe there is a process that each of us go through. And Jesus himself went through it. If you go with me really quickly to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we read in verse 1. It says, then Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is after his baptism. He's baptized by John. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So first of all, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the second thing we know is that then after being filled, Jesus is then led by the Spirit. If we go to the next verse... Being tempted for 40 days, they ate nothing. Uh, and if we go forward to verse 11, 12, somewhere there. You got it up there, Luke? I should put my glasses on because I can't quite see. So Luke 4, we see him filled and we see him being led. And then in verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned, this is after being tempted, after going through the temptation in the wilderness. It says, then Jesus returned what? In the power of the Spirit. So we hear this process in the life of Jesus, right? And it goes like this, he's first filled with the Spirit. Once he's filled with the Spirit, the next thing is he's now led by the Spirit. After he's led by the Spirit, he's then empowered by the Spirit. And I believe that that process is there for a reason. And I believe that there's a model there that happened in the life of Jesus that also happens in the life of each and every one of us. Firstly, we are filled with the Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be led by the Spirit the way that Jesus intended if you're not first filled. Because we're filled with the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the primary way that the Spirit of God leads us, He leads us from the inside out, not the outside in. See, when we're, when we're wanting decisions or answers or we're trying to hear the voice of God or we want to know what God wants us to do. How often do we, we pray but then we're reaching out there somewhere thinking it's going to come from out here somewhere. But Jesus said the spirit of truth that I've placed in you, he'll guide you into all truth. He will lead you. 
So the, the, the Spirit of God resides inside of us and we take him everywhere with us. So we're not looking for some external source to lead us. He's with you all the time. Whether you're here, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're glad, whatever, the Spirit's in you. So Jesus was first filled with the Spirit. After that, he was led by the Spirit. And I believe we're first filled, and then we need to learn how to be led by the Spirit. That's the second part of the process. We learn how to be led by the Spirit. And it's interesting, and I don't want to get into it now, but we will later. The first place that Jesus was led was into a wilderness, and I think that's very, very significant. It's very, very significant. Why wasn't the first place he was led to the entrance of Lazarus's tomb? Why didn't Jesus get filled with the Spirit, then go to the entrance of Lazarus's tomb, roll the stone away, and call a dead man forth? Why didn't he go straight to that place? And we sometimes think like this when we think about, okay, the, the, the filling of the Spirit. How do we know if someone's got the Holy Spirit? Well, that person's healing the sick and raising the dead and seeing all kinds. They must be filled with the Spirit. That must be God. We've got to be careful with that. Jesus said this, you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know my people. You'll know someone that's filled with the Spirit by the fruit of their life, not necessarily by the power that is perceived to be coming from them. Be very careful. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Many will come in that day and will say, Lord, we didn't cast out demons in your name. Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we raise the dead? Power, 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 miracles, signs, wonders. And Jesus never refutes them and said no. He just simply said this, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, the, the, the Greek word for, for know in the Bible has this implication not just of knowledge, but it talks about experiential knowledge. What Jesus is saying is, depart from me, we never experienced each other at all. You might have done all these things. You might have healed the sick. You might have done all that. I'm not going to refute that. But what I'm going to say is this, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not the pinnacle. The pinnacle is, who are you? And who are you with me? So Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Then he's led with the Spirit. The end result of that process is that he walks through life empowered by the Spirit. And I believe that's the goal for each and every one of us as believers. That's the plan of God, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would learn to be led by the Spirit. And the end result is this, that we would go out there into our schools and our jobs and our workplaces and our families and wherever it is that we go in the community, whatever. But we would go out there, not just with a bunch of words about a living, resurrected God, but we would go out there carrying the very power of God out there into the world, just like the disciples did. They didn't just run around and talk about the stuff. They laid these mitts on sick people and they were healed. They confronted demonic spirits and they dealt with them in the authority and name of Jesus and they changed the world. The Bible says that they turned the world upside down. We know that they turned the world right side up. How many of you believe the world today needs to be turned back up on its right side? It's getting crazy out there. People are getting further and further away from God. And we live in an age where people are sick of words. We want to see what's behind it. What have you got? So I think it's imperative, it's important that we understand this process. That we are filled with the Spirit, that we learn to be led by the Spirit, and that we learn to move in the power of the Spirit, knowing that that's the end result. If we, if we understand we're filled, and we can learn to be led, then we're the kind of people that God can entrust His power to. We're the kind of people that God can move through. So over the next few weeks, I want to kind of have a little dance around this whole process of filled, led, empowered. So today I just want to touch base a little bit on this whole issue of filled, filled with the Spirit. Um, I preached a while ago, I don't remember how far back, but I was talking about, I made the statement, I said presence is everything. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But presence is everything. Okay? It's, it's you're flying down the highway, you're doing 120 because you're late for that meeting. 
And in your rearview mirror, you see a particular type of car. It's got numbers on the front, a blue light on the left and a red light on the right. And all of a sudden, from within yourself, you have this amazing withdrawal of self-control and all of a sudden, you can slow right down. to It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Up until that point, 120, I can't stop. I've got to get... All of a sudden, wow, I can drive 100. Woo! I don't know if you praise God in those moments, but it's amazing. The presence of that police car completely changed your life. It gave you the impetus, the power, the ability to do something that otherwise was going to be impossible. How could I possibly stick to 100 when I've got to get to this meeting, you know? Oh, there's a guy. There we go. I'm doing it. It's a miracle. Daniel doesn't do this. But let's imagine Daniel's at the bar. Hasn't met Ruth yet. And Ruth's sitting there and... Daniel goes up to her and he sits next to her and he starts putting on the, how you going? He's dressed all suave, looking the part. How you doing? He starts chatting her up. This is, I'm not, yeah, this is not how it happened. He hasn't told me nothing. But he starts chatting to her. Just can't control himself. I mean, he's there. He's just got to pick up somebody and he, and he goes over. And he just can't stop. He's just having to go, having to go. And then all of a sudden, the toilet door opens and out walks a man. He's six foot tall, five foot wide, covered in tattoos, muscles like you wouldn't believe. He starts walking over to Ruth and he sits down next to her. It's amazing. All of a sudden, the self-control that he finds inside himself to get up and to walk away. All of a sudden, I don't want to do this. I don't have to do this. Until then, he had to. I've just got to find it. It's amazing what presence can do for us. How it can change. You know, my own wife will tell you she sleeps better when I'm at home. When I'm in the house, she sleeps better. I might not even be in bed next to her. I might be reading a book. Or, or, but, but if I'm in the house, she sleeps better. There's something about presence. When my kids go out at night, I put my phone there. I can't sleep. I just don't like sleeping until I hear that sliding door. And then I can go, okay. I don't know why. I don't want to stay awake. But this is what you put me through. I've never told you this. But this is what I go through when you guys go out. And I wake up grumpy because I haven't slept and you just think I'm a bad dad. It's because you guys went out. That's why I'm grumpy. Presence is everything. Presence is empowering. And when we understand that the presence of God is in us, it also empowers us. It also enables us to do things that we otherwise might have thought we couldn't do. Imagine sitting next to that computer screen looking at that image that you know you shouldn't be looking at. But if your best friend walked in or your mother or your father or me or anyone else walked in and sat next to you, it's amazing that you could be in front of a computer at two in the morning and have the self-control not to go there. Presence is empowering. It's empowering. You sit down, you start a conversation and you just, you just chuck out a couple of seeds, a little bit of gossip just to see if they'll reciprocate and they do. And so before you know it, it's full on haggis, haggis, haggis. And then that person comes along and sits there that maybe you respect or as an authority figure or, or you don't want them to know that this is what I do. It's amazing when they enter the room or sit down in that chair next. It's amazing we can stop. You see, presence is a powerful, powerful thing. And if all those scenarios, if we can find self-control, the ability to do right over wrong because of the presence of a police car or a friend or a person or a loved one or a boyfriend with tattoos, big, wide, Scary looking. If we can find the ability inside of us to make right choices and do right things because of those, 
How much more empowering do you think it is the day we realize that the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we take him with us everywhere? See, I don't know. I, I want to show you a couple of scriptures here. I'm going to tell you my, my theology of being filled with the Spirit. If you have repented of your sins, now let me, make, let me, let me, let me simplify this. God created mankind for a relationship with him. That's what we were made for. We were made for that. We weren't made for anything outside of that. Everything makes sense when we're standing in that place of relationship. Outside of that, life's frustrating. It's hard. It's difficult. Makes no sense. There's no hope for the future. It's difficult. I, I, I gave my life to Christ at 19. That was a tough, tough road before that. It hasn't always been easy since, but life makes sense now to me. God made us for a relationship. We turned our back on him. He did not turn his back on us. Adam and Eve, God said, you've got a whole world out there. You can eat off every tree. Do whatever you want. Just don't touch that one. Why is that tree there? Maybe it was because God didn't want robots. If we don't put the tree there you can't touch, then they're only doing exactly the right thing because there's no wrong thing to do. God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want puppets. He wants us out of our free will choice to follow him. So there's a tree there. Don't touch that, but the rest of the world is your oyster. We said not good enough. We want to touch that one. And we turned our back on God. God had a way of doing things and we said, we don't want to do it your way. And so we took matters into our own hands and we've been paying the price ever since. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So if I've fallen short of the mark of God, I've done something wrong. I deserve death. In the eyes of a holy, perfect God, I actually deserve death. That's what I deserve. But God has to uphold his justice by going, well, someone's got to pay for this. I can't just let you get off it. It makes a mockery of my justice. At the same time, I'm so merciful that I don't want it to be you because I love you. So he comes down to earth in the form of a man that we know historically as Jesus. And Jesus pays the price. He dies on the cross. He's murdered. His blood is shed for the wrong things we've done. Now, we've got a choice. We have a choice to repent of those wrong things, which means lay them down, turn away from them, and start walking away from that stuff and make a choice to live our life for God. Make a choice to, to say, God, come into my world, take control, lead me, guide me. I'm going to live the remainder of my days here for you. And there are so many benefits. I'm not even going to go into them, what the Bible says that God does for us. But one of the things is when we do that, he says that he takes his spirit and he places it inside of us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are filled with the spirit. So I want to throw that theological thought out there right now. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have repented, turned and are following God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us are sitting back waiting for something different to happen because there's all kinds of theologies and ideas out there about what it means. Anyone ever heard them all? If you don't, if you don't speak in blah, 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 then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Anyone ever heard that stuff? If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. When, when I first got saved, I was so hungry for God that anything anybody asked, I would do. You know, I just wanted God. And I remember uh, being in, in meetings where the guy up the front would say that if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, come up the front. I'm going to lead you right now to receive the Spirit. So I come up the front at this meeting. And here's what he would say. He would take us to, I think it's John 7. If any man thirst, let him come to me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit that, that the world would receive once Jesus was glorified. And so he said, come forward. If you want to receive the Spirit, come forward. We're going to drink in the Spirit. I don't know what that means. I'm just newly saved. So I go, no worries. I run up the front. He goes, put your hands out. I do. He goes, put your head back. I do. And he goes, now start gulping. And I'm standing there with a whole bunch of apparently mature people. And we're all going, um, 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 um. And he goes, yes, yeah, see that? You're filled with the Spirit. I'm like, oh, no, I've just got a sore neck. Come, 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 come. 
And apparently I was filled with the Spirit because I went to Hopgum. So anyone here, you're not sure if you're filled with the Spirit. Quick, tilt your head back now, right now, put it back. We're going to drink together. Let's go. Um, 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 you're filled. You're filled. Then, of course, you've got the, the hardcore if you do not speak in tongues. You don't have the Spirit. Anyone ever heard that one? You're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. I don't want to get all into that later on down the track. And if you, I, want to, I want to look at that. I want to look at the book of Acts, and I'll give you my theology on that whole process. But for now, I want to say this. I was in a meeting once, and a guy said, come up if you want to be filled with the Spirit. So again, I run up because I'm just not sure I want to be filled with the Spirit. You know? Because you're just not sure. Some of us, the day we got saved, the light started flashing, your hair changed colour, your nails were all of a sudden clean, a whole bunch of things happened and you just knew it. Others of us, we gave our lives to Christ and we didn't have the flashing lights. We didn't have the light bulb. We, we just had to believe in faith. We just had to believe in faith. And then allow that process to outwork in our life as time went on. I was one of those just believe in faith guys. I prayed a couple of prayers. They were amazing miracles. People hear my story and go, wow, that was amazing. In the moment, you know what? It didn't feel that amazing. It, didn't, it just didn't feel that amazing. You know, I didn't have the feelings. It's just I prayed this prayer and these things happened. And I just had to believe in faith. Okay, because I asked this and that happened, I've just got to believe that that must be you, God. So I'm going to go down this path and go on this journey. And let's see where it takes us. And the more I walk down that journey, the more it solidifies in me. You know what? I am saved. I'm a child of God. And it just happens. But I'm up the front and this guy goes, come up if you want to be filled with the Spirit. So I come running up and this is what he told me to do. He said, right, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is you'll speak with tongues. If you don't speak with tongues, then you're not filled with the Spirit. So you've got to come up. So everyone comes running up. He goes, now do this. Repeat after me, Abba. So I went, Abba. He said, now say Dabba. I went, Dabba. Now he said, say it together. So I went, Abba Dabba. He said, say it again. Abba Dabba. And again, Abba now faster. Abba Dabba, Abba Dabba, Abba Dabba, Abba Dabba, Abba Dabba, Abba Dabba, Abba And he's jumping around going, yes, they're all filled with the Spirit. And I'm going, no, I'm just saying a band's name. Waterloo. You know? Meanwhile, he was behind the scenes probably going, money, money, money. I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Abba-dabba, abba-dabba, abba-dabba. But these crazy things that we do to try to get filled with the Spirit. Yet I want to show you a couple of passages in the Bible. This is why I no longer do that anymore. I stand here now with 100% faith and assurance that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this to you today. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You are. And I want you to walk away today and believe that. I want you to remember these couple of verses. I want you to use them as warfare if you have to and say to the devil and to yourself, I am filled with the Spirit. I'm not constantly running around trying to make something else happen except what has happened first. Until we believe we're filled with the Spirit, I believe if we can't settle that question, it's very hard to move on to that next stage and live a life that's led by the Spirit. Because we're always second-guessing, am I, am I not, am I not? Here's a couple of verses for you to have a bit of a look at. If you can chuck them up on the screen for me there, Luke. Uh, Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. We'll go through this fairly quickly. I'm running out of time. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now watch this. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So if you're sitting there going... I don't have the Spirit. I'm not filled with the Spirit. It's akin to saying I'm not born again. It's the same thing. According to Paul, it's the same thing. If you're sitting there going, well, I don't, I'm not filled with the Spirit, you might as well be saying, well, I'm not born again. Well, if that's the case, get born again and get filled with the Spirit. But if you're sitting here going, no, no, I know I'm born again, 
then I want you to take that verse and go, well, Paul's saying, well, if you know you're born again, Paul would say to you, then I know you're filled with the Spirit. I know you're filled with the Spirit. Because it's one and the same thing. If you're going to say you don't have the Spirit, then you don't have salvation. Who here is going to put their hand up and say, I don't have salvation? One or two, maybe, possibly, that's fine. It's all part of the journey. It is available for you, though, if you're sitting here and you don't have it. It's available right now, you can have it. Go to the next one for me. Uh, Go to John 7. John chapter 7, we just looked at this, verse 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, don't do that. But if you do thirst, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Next verse. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, watch this, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. For those whom believing in him would receive. It doesn't say those believing in him might receive. Those believing in him, part of them might get it. It says those who believe in him will receive. You will get it. Those who believe will receive it. Not those who tilt their heads back and try to drink. Not those who try to force it to happen. But those who believe will receive the Spirit of God. Again, if you're a believer here, then according to the Bible, you are filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. I don't care if you didn't get a goosebump. I don't care if your hair's not standing up on end. I don't care if you don't get butterflies. I don't care if you haven't laid hands on the sick and they've recovered. I just want you to understand today, you have the Spirit of God inside of you and everywhere you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Go to the last one here for me, please. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. I love this. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Then Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And what? And you what? You you what? You what? You shall. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You might receive it. I want you to repent, get your life right with Christ, and then take your lucky number. It's like conscription. Some of you are going to get called up to receive the Spirit. Some of you won't. It's okay. It's not like that. It's not like that. He says, repent and believe and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Roll to the next one for me and watch this. This is the exciting bit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. It's to you and to your children and your grand... In other words, the process, the system's the same. If you repent and believe, you'll get my spirit. I don't care if it happens in the year 1 AD or the year 2019 AD. The process is going to remain the same right down throughout the generations. You are going to get the spirit of God in you. I will fill you if you'll turn your life over to me. I will fill you. You shall. Now, I love this bit too. For the promise is to you. If I make your promise, if I stand here now and I say, Jackie... I won't use you as an illustration. You'll hold me to it. Um, if I was to say, if I was to say, Daniel, you hold me to it. Daniel, soon as church is over, soon as I let you out of here, which won't be long now. Okay, I know it's hot. I won't, it won't be long. Soon as I let you out of here, Daniel, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you out to lunch. I am going to buy you two tower stacker burger combos, and we'll get. I'm going to do that for you. After that, I'm going to take you down to uh, my uncle's car yard and I'm going to replace that thing you've got and I'm going to buy your brand new car, your choice, whatever you want. It's my promise, I promise you. And then I'll get on with my life. When it comes time to receive that promise, 
Who has the pressure on them? Who's the responsibility laid upon? The one who received the promise or the one who made the promise? It's the promise maker. God promised. He said, this is a promise. You can take it to the bank. This is a promise. I am going to give you my spirit. It's a promise. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to second guess it. Don't worry about how you're feeling. Trust me. Listen to my word. You know who I am. I'm making a promise. It's a promise. God made the promise. I'm yet to know of a, a case or a place or a time where God didn't keep his promise. God keeps his promises. Now, if God keeps his promises and you've repented and believed, guess what? He has given you, he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. End of story. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your emotions? You didn't get an emotional rush? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll get an emotional rush. It's not in this book. It's nowhere. Nowhere. But we're so trained to wait for the emotional thing. We're looking for something out here. Let me tell you something. Colossians 1.13 says this. When you were saved, it says that God translated you, conferred you, moved you. He took you out of the kingdom of darkness on the left-hand side of the aisle here. I'm not saying you're in a kingdom of darkness. And he picked you up and he literally moved you over this side and he plopped you into a kingdom called the kingdom of the son of his love. Exactly. Great response. This is what the Bible says happened. The minute you said, Jesus, come into my life, I repent, I hand control over. The minute you did that, something happened. You were literally picked up from the kingdom of darkness and dumped into the kingdom of light. How many of you felt that at the moment? Some people have that. You know, my sister, my little sister gave her life to Christ years ago. And I remember her telling me after she did that, she said, you know, I woke up the next day And she said, I felt like every bird outside my window was singing. Just She said, I can't explain it. I walked outside and and the birds were singing. I just felt like they were singing to me. And I heard that and thought, well, why did you not do that for me, God? I stood on a roundabout and opened myself up to you and all I got was truck fumes. (laughs) I didn't get any of that stuff, you know? None of that stuff. But some people do. But yet the Bible says that every one of us, no matter what you felt, when you gave your life to Christ, you were picked up from the kingdom of darkness, you were transported to another place. Spiritually speaking, you are in a totally new realm now. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happened by faith. It happened by faith. Because that's what the Bible says. We receive the Spirit the same way we receive everything else from God. We receive it by faith. We receive it by faith. It's unfortunate that we have a modern day Western, and I'm, I'm bagging sort of Pentecostal culture a little bit here, but I consider myself Pentecostal. But we have this, this element where we're all waiting to feel something before we believe anything. We're waiting to feel something before we believe. Yet the Bible says, believing you shall receive. Believe. If, 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 if my Bible tells me that I'm filled with the Spirit, I don't care what I feel like. I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And I walk around my day believing that. And everywhere I go, I believe I take the Spirit of God with me, not because I feel goosebumpy, not because I'm jibber-jabbering in abba-dabba-dabba language, not because I fell over when I prayed, not because I heard birds singing to me, but because the Word of God tells me that, that that's the case. And so I lay hold of that, I walk in that, I believe that, and I live that. I want to say something to you this morning. 
you, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have truly repented, if you have truly embraced the life of God, doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you got it all down pat, but if you know you've done that in your heart of hearts, you know, you know that if you stood before God right now, he'd look you in the eye and go, I remember when. I remember when. I was there, remember? I remember the day that you opened the door of your heart and I ran in. If you could say that, then I want to tell you this. It's not just figuratively that you opened the door of your heart and he ran in. He literally ran in by the vehicle of his Holy Spirit. And he filled you with the Holy Spirit. And you got doubts and moments and thoughts and all this sort of stuff. Settle the issue once and for all. The Bible says that you are filled with the Spirit. Don't worry about do I this, do You are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? If, 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 if that's not true, then I want everyone to start bringing a black marker to church. I'm serious. Bring a black permanent marker to church. And if I point out something in the Bible and you choose not to believe it, just put a big line through it. That way when you do that, you know, those 365-day reading plans, you could just take out the stuff you don't believe. Just get rid of it. By about five, six, seven, eight years' time, you might only have a couple of pages to read. <laughs> Save yourself. It's about time management. I'm thinking time management here. We are filled with the Spirit. If you've given your life to Christ, you're filled with the Spirit. When I buy my kids presents at Christmas, the most frustrating thing in the world is to not read the box properly. <laughs> and, and, and you get this present, and it's a remote control car. And you get it home, and you wrap it up, and then they rip it open, and they're so excited. And then we see those words we all hate. Batteries not included. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe what the Bible says, if you don't believe you're filled with the Spirit, you are living life with batteries not included. It's the same thing. But I want to tell you, the batteries were included in this one. They're rechargeables, and they've got a lifetime guarantee. Okay? And they're pretty powerful. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room, God. I pray as we go from this place. Lord, don't just let us get on with the day and move on. And, 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 and God, we, we need to do that in the natural. But I pray spiritually, Father, let us think about what we're hearing. Let us think about the word of God. God, I pray that we would be uh, people, Lord, who just embrace by faith. Lord, we don't, I don't expect you to turn up and, and make me jibber-jabber. God, I don't expect you to push me over. I don't expect you to, to, to do all these things for me to believe you. God, we trust your character. We trust who you are. And God, your word is true. And so, Lord, I pray for those people here today, God, those people that, Lord, they're walking with you, but they're still doubting. They're still, am I, am I not, am I, am I not? God, I pray you'd settle the issue in their heart that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that the batteries were included when the gift was given to them, Father. And, Lord, if there are people here this morning, God, who don't know you yet, now, Father, I just pray, uh, Lord, just gently continue to open up their eyes of their heart, God. Let them see who you are. God, in the same way that everyone in this room, at one point, we did not believe in you. Everyone in this room, we did not follow you at some point, but you did something. You showed us something. You, you moved upon our life, God. You positioned us. You got us into a place where we were able to see something that we acted upon. And Father, I pray for those people if they're here this morning as well, God. Just pour your love out upon them. Show them how special they are to you, how much you love them, how much you are for them. And get them across that line, God, because you have such a great life for them. Father, we thank you, Lord. I pray as we go out from this place today, God, every person here in the next seven days, give every single one of us an opportunity to show someone the love of God that doesn't yet know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless. Uh, Have a great week. Uh, Just before you go, can everybody pray for two things for me? Uh, Number one, can you pray for my wife? A lot of you don't know this, but she may need need some help this afternoon. The Roosters are playing in the NRL Grand Final. (laughs) 
And what tends to happen is this lovely, beautiful woman here, she becomes another person. It's like in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God came upon him, it says they became another person. Well, the Spirit will come upon her and she becomes another person in front of a football game, especially when it's the rooster. So pray for her and pray for the roosters too. Because happy wife, 